Welcome to the Will and Aaron Show. I am William Kramer, and I'm with my co-host, Aaron Bontrager. We cover local sports, including the Northern Indiana Conference and the Northern Lakes Conference, plus teams in St. Joseph and Elkhart counties. We also cover, cover college and pro sports. We are recording our 44th episode on June 18th, 2023. Aaron, how you doing? Doing good. Good, good. Excited for the show, so. Yeah, we, we got some great material. How are you doing? Good. Uh, ready for uh, um, another week and uh, excited for all the things happening in local college and pro sports. Okay, so let's start with topic number one. Uh, we had the Penn Baseball State Championship game. And Penn beat Center Grove two to zero. Uh, Penn wins their sixth baseball state title in the past thirty years. Penn has won six titles out of seven state appearances, and Penn becomes only the second school in IHSA history to win both the baseball and softball championships during the same season. In fact, New Palestine won baseball and softball in Class 3A in 2004. The game was scoreless until the third inning, with two out pins. Cooper Hums hit a triple down the right field line. Cam Drombowski followed that up with a double down the left field line to score Hums. Evan Tuesley singled in Dombrowski. Uh, Penn's starting pitcher, Adam Lehman, 11-2 on a year, went six innings. He was replaced by Dawson French in the seventh inning. Central Grove made things interesting in the bottom of the seventh with the winning run at bat. Uh, but the Trojans popped out for the final out, leading to a massive celebration for the Kingsmen, and Penn finishes the season with a 27-8 and record. Now, Zachary Pelletier of Penn High School was announced as the recipient of the Bob Gardner Mental Attitude Award for Class 4A. Zachary graduated from Penn with magna cum laude and earned the United States Marine Corps Scholastic Excellence Award. And he was part of the school's Student Athlete Leadership Council and was named All-State Academic Team in football. And he also served at the as a team captain last season on the football team. So we want to say congratulations to Penn for winning their uh, state championship for baseball. Yes, what a great year, great finish of their season. Uh, I saw earlier this today that uh, brought up Cooper Holmes. He made some top, top seven sports center plays with his web gem in center field. Quite the catch. Um, and then Absolutely. He also did it, yeah. 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 Also did it with his bat. Um, yeah. Wow. Quite the year for Penn Athletics. Um, and if you even look just as a whole, Elkhart, St. Joe County showed really well the state tournament and many sports this year. So, yeah. 
All right, let's move to topic two. Also finishing up is boys golf, state meet. We had a couple area teams make it down there, Penn and Northridge. Uh, Penn finished 16th, Northridge finished 18th out of 18 teams. Kingsman had a really solid round one, um, and the Raiders kind of struggled round one, but they played better in round two. Uh, so round one was fairly unkind to our area golfers. There were a few exceptions to that. Uh, Braden Miller of Fairfield tied for sixth overall, and the tournament finished at one under par. And as many of you probably know by now, as a freshman last year, he finished 12th. So I think it's pretty safe to say that he will be back in, in the hunt next year. Um, the highest Raider finish was uh, tied for 31st, Brock Reschley. Now he is a senior, so his amazing golf career comes to an end. Uh, another top finish from our area was, in, in particular, Penn. Tied for 43rd was Dylan Mounts. And he was actually kind of in the thick of it after round one. He was tied for 13th. But then round two kind of caught up with him as well. And then uh, Jacob Palmer of Trinity finished tied for 53rd. So quite an accomplishment for these guys and others not mentioned from Penn and uh, Northridge. Uh, just making it down there is is pretty awesome. And just want to say great work, gentlemen, and congrats on a great season. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Aaron, I think it's safe to say their golf game is way better than my golf game. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, mine as well. <laughs> well, Aaron is not that far away, uh, but topic number three, we're going to talk about our top five college football week one games. So uh, are you ready to do this? Let's do it. So we're going to start at number five and work our way down number one. At number five, we have Colorado at TCU. Uh, and Deion Sand Sanders era kicks off. Uh, I think a couple of questions I have for this game is, you know, what will TCU look like after their big season last year? And, you know, could this be a potential Big 12 matchup down the road with uh, the talks of Colorado perhaps leaving the Pac-12 conference and maybe even joining the Big 12 and kind of rejoining a conference that they have a history with. So uh, Colorado at TCU, a lot of eyeballs will be on that game to see what Deion Sanders can do. Now, number four, Navy at Notre Dame. This will be played in Dublin, Ireland. Uh, and, and the reason why this is in top five is because of the tradition between these two schools, um, the uniqueness that Notre Dame brings as an international brand. Um, it, you know, ticket prices can tell a story sometimes. And the most recently I looked, uh, it was like $599 per ticket just <laughs> for this game. So um, a lot of hype. Uh, maybe not for the reasons that uh, a lot of people think about, but it's still a big game. And not to even include that, this is the first game under new quarterback Sam Hartman. So a lot of people will be tuned in to see how he does. At number three, Florida out of the SEC at Utah. Uh, now, Utah had a sour taste from last year's deflating loss uh, down in Gainesville, Florida. 
uh, where it looked like they had that game won, but end, uh, ended up losing it. Uh, now, Utah, interesting enough, is 1-7 all-time against the SEC. In fact, their only win uh, is in 2009 when they beat Alabama in the Sugar Bowl. Uh, now, Utah has a proven quarterback in Cam Rising. That might be what tilts uh, the uh, uh, edge to the Utah Utes, but it should be another great game uh, between two power five non-conference uh, opponents. At number two, North Carolina at South Carolina. This is a great early week one contest, a battle of quarterback stars and Drake May of Carolina, North Carolina, and Spencer Rattler of South Carolina. Uh, both, I'm assuming, uh, will be probably playing in the NFL someday. Uh, last year, North Carolina had nine wins, South Carolina eight wins. Uh, and this is probably a game, again, I'm just speculating here, probably a game that has bowl game implications uh, and uh, the battle of Carolina, you know, a big rival, uh, rivalry game. And at number one, we have LSU Tigers at the Florida State Seminoles. Again, playoff implications here. Uh, two big brands going at each other. Last year was an instant classic at LSU. Uh, you probably remember that game with 24-23. Florida State won late in that game. Uh, I would expect another nail-biter, another great contest between these two uh, big-time brands. So that is our top five college football week one games. Again, number five, Colorado at TCU. Number four, Navy at Notre Dame. Number three, Florida at Utah. Number two, North Carolina at South Carolina. And our number one game of week one, LSU at Florida State. What say you, Aaron? You know, I can't argue with your list here. It's a good top five. I am too intrigued uh, what Deion Sanders can do at Colorado. I think that's uh, that's an interesting week one game against TCU. Uh, probably my favorite game on this list. Uh, another one, of course, number one for obvious reasons, LSU versus Florida State. Probably the biggest early game of the year for the reasons you laid out. Yeah, I'm, I'll be interested to see who comes out on top on that one. Yeah, you know, uh, there are a few, some games that were honorable mentions here that just barely missed the top five list, and I want to quickly go over those. Uh, Nebraska at Minnesota. I love this early Big Ten matchup. Minnesota is a consistent program under P.J. Fleck. Um, how quickly can Matt Rule turn around the Cornhuskers? Uh, I think mm -hmm. a lot of people are going to be watching this game. Boise State uh, at Washington. Of course, uh, Washington Huskies have IU's former quarterback, Michael Pennitz Jr., and a lot of people are talking him as a, a potential Heisman uh, a player. Uh, West Virginia at Penn State. You know, a Penn State could be sneaky good this year. Not a lot of people are talking about them as Ohio State and Michigan get a lot of the oxygen in the Big Ten and for good reason. Um, so watch out for the Nittany Lions. Clemson at Duke. Duke is a solid team. Uh, obviously, Clemson is uh, better. Uh, how long can Duke ha uh, hang with uh, the Clemson Tigers is a question I have. 
Um, but uh, these these games uh, barely missed the top five. Yeah, those are good questions there, Will. And these, I mean, even these honorable mention games are really interesting. Tell you what, football will be here soon, and these lists are making me excited. You know, I was thinking I might have to pull out the NCAA football video game just to hold me over. <laughs> to- you know, not a bad idea. Uh, build up IU or Notre Dame football to a national title just to make yeah. it feel good because uh, especially <laughs> for Indiana, probably never happened in our lifetime, but never say never, I guess. All right, let's move on to topic number four, Will and Aaron's top five Indiana high school football week one games. Uh, and we'll start with number five here. Uh, we have LaVille at Bremen. Uh, last year, LaVille won 42-0. LaVille and Bremen both lost in the sectionals to Adrian, the state runner-up. Now, in the last 10 meetings, Bremen has won six games of those 10. However, this might surprise a lot of people locally. LaVille has won the last four games dating back to 2014. Uh, by an average margin of 16 points per game. Hmm. Uh, now, LaVille does have a new coach, uh, so that we'll see how that uh, plays out early on. Uh, LaVille hasn't had a losing record since 2013. Uh, of course, we know that Bremen has a rich history as well, uh, so I'm very curious to see how, how, how much of a drop-off will LaVille have from last year's 10-win season, if any drop-off at all. And can Bremen close the gap with LaVille and end this four-game losing streak to the Lancers? Number four, Jimtown at Northwood. Last year, Northwood won 31-7. Rarely do you see a a score that lopsided in in the history of these two teams. Uh, Jimtown and Northwood both lost in their respective sectional championship games. Uh, Northwood uh, leads the all-time series 14-13. Uh, despite losing Nitro, their offense will still be explosive. Uh, expectations in Napanee are high, and for good reason. Uh, they still have a three-star wide receiver in Josiah Edmond, and uh, he will be a scoring threat anytime he touches the ball. Both teams are well-coached. You know, Aaron, I'm intrigued to see how Jimtown's defense will do against this potent Northwood offense. Uh, we all know what Jimtown will do. Historically, they melt the clock for all it's worth, but Northwood can score quickly. Can Jimtown's defense avoid the big plays? We'll see if that can happen. Uh, number three, Concord at Elkhart. Now, last year, Elkhart won 33-0. to zero. Concord lost to Mishawaka in the second round of the sectionals. Elkhart lost their opening round sectional game to Warsaw. Uh, Elkhart is 2-0 against Concord since the merger. Uh, This is a good measuring stick game for Concord. You know, if there's one sport that has improved because of the merger, I think it's got to be football, clearly. They've they've done pretty well. Uh, Elkhart will want to get off to a good start to the season. So this is a big-time game for both programs. Number two, uh, Northridge at Fort Wayne North. Now, Northridge, for our local fans, uh, Fort Wayne North, you probably don't know a whole lot about the legends here, but uh, Northridge lost in the regional to New Prairie. 
Fort Wayne North lost in the sectionals to Fort Wayne Snyder, but the, uh, both teams were very, very good last year, Snyder and North. Mm-hmm. Uh, Legends lost twice to Snyder and a narrow loss to Carroll. We all know that Carroll made it down to the state finals as the runner-ups. Early road test for the Raiders here. I think this is could be one of the most underrated big-time games uh, in the northern half of the state. I think it's that, that good. Uh, number one, Penn at Valparaiso. Uh, what a series this has been. Uh, they've you typically play this game in the first year of the season. Uh, last year, Penn won 35-6. to six. Uh, Valpo improved greatly since that loss, and they made a great run to become the state champions in Class 5A. Now, Penn lost to the 6A state runner-up in Carroll, Fort Wayne, and the sectionals. In the last 10 meetings, Penn leads the series 6-4. to four. So, to recap, our top five Week 1 games for Indian High School football, we have number five, LaVille at Bremen, Number four, Jimtown at Northwood. Number three, Concord at Elkhart. Number two, Northridge at Fort Wayne North. And number one, Penn at Valparaiso. Aaron, what do you think? You know, we were texting about this topic, and I was thinking, man, it would be good to have separate lists. But then I'm like, this is the same list I would have. So I I tried to poke holes, but I couldn't. uh, I wanted to be the contrarian. I, I think our list is good. You know, that Penn-Valpo game is quite a week one treat. You got two northern powerhouse uh, with pedigrees. And then you look at Northridge, Fort Wayne North. Both teams have been looking pretty competitive with the big boys in our state. Um, so that'll be an interesting game. I'll definitely be watching that one, of course. Um, I really like the concord Elkar matchup. I feel like Concord's a team that I'm going to keep my eye on this year. I feel like they're due for a kind of a not. I wouldn't call it a breakout season, but I could see them making some noise this year. Uh, then, of course, Northwood and Jimtown get together. Uh, it feels like a really fun way to start the high school season. And Laville and Bremen—that's a potential. I think it's a potential postseason matchup. So then we get a little preview potentially week one. You know, I'll make a case for a couple honorable mentions. I think they both um, could be underrated games week one. number. The first one I have is Warsaw, who's 8-3 and three at Michigan City, who is 2-8. and eight. And you might be thinking, why would we put this as an honorable mention? But the past four years, the series has been two, to, two games to two. Uh, the Tigers won last year 35-7. to seven, And the Wolves kind of underachieved last year, I think, I was doing some research. They're ranked in the top 10 and 5A preseason poll. I believe they were number three, and they kind of just didn't put it together for whatever reason. Uh, they have a quite the dynamic duo in the backfield, Tyler Bush and Jaden Hart. Bush, the quarterback, Hart, the running back, who's also a Syracuse commit. So they're probably chomping at the bit to get going this year. But then you got first-year coach uh, Cody, or not first-year, first year at Michigan City, Cody French, taking on the established uh, coach Curtis at War- Warsaw and his option attack, led by, I believe, senior 
quarterback Grady Nolan will be the likely starter and running back Reed Zollinger. So that that's an intriguing game. Um, next, now if you look at their records, it might not be, I think this is an important game for the, the area programs in Elkhart County. Goshen 2-8 and eight at Fairfield, who went 5-5 five and five last year. Goshen went 2-8 and eight last year. So, and the Falcons actually won an overtime last year, 22-20. to 20. The, the Red Hawks have had the upper hand in the series. I think that they're at 5-2 and two over the past eight years. They didn't play in 2020. Another reason why I think this is important, it's year two under Coach Wagaman. How has this team improved? Are their numbers up? Do they have the depth, uh, especially up front on O-line and D-line? That's something I'm going to be kind of tracking this year. And then also the Falcons, I felt like last year they had a lot of expectations. They had a lot of seniors. This year, maybe they'll slide into that Hunter role a little bit and maybe sneak up on some teams like Goshen. So those are two games that, for a good reason, or honorable mention, not quite up there with the other top five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are two intriguing games. Uh, Warsaw, Michigan City, more intriguing for the regional. Uh, yeah. uh, and then, like you said, local, Elkhart County local, uh, That's that's got some uh, intrigue there. Um, yeah, I didn't know about Jaden Hart uh, committed to Syracuse. What a, uh, what a challenge that will be for a coach. Uh, Curtis and the Warsaw Tiger defense to corral him and kind of limit his uh, yardage there. Um, so I'll be interesting to see there that matchup. And, uh, you know, um, Fairfield and Goshen, uh, can't think of a better way to start your season than, than Elkhart County. Uh, you know, this great matchup here. Uh, teams that I'm assuming they know each other and uh, will be a lot of fun to watch that. Well, uh, Aaron, let's finish off our last topic of this episode and topic number five, and that is we have with us Penn High School girls basketball head coach uh, uh, Christy Aldrich with us. And uh, what um, an honor it is to have you coach on our show. Uh, You've got 312 wins so far. Um, You are recently the Indiana All-Star coach, um, and uh, you're – Program has won 11 sectional, 10 NICs, um, three semi-state, six uh, regionals, and and one state title there. Um, So, Coach, great to have you with us. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I really appreciate the opportunity. uh, Coach, uh, I've kind of been able to watch what you do at Penn uh, from a distance uh, growing up in this area. Jim uh, Town, and then going to Bethel, and um, you know, coaching around the area over the last fifteen or so year, uh, years. Uh, and what uh, it's been, I've, I've been impressed of what you've been able to do at Penn High School with your program. Let's start off with your story. Uh, we're all about sharing stories here on our podcast. Uh, you've got a great story, I think, that people uh, would like to to know about um, and can learn from. So. Uh, uh, talk about how how everything that led up to getting the job at Penn High School. 
Well, I've always been involved with sports my entire life. And, um, you know, I played in high school um, for a great high school coach mentor, um, my high school coach, Mike Bresky, who I still talk to to this day. He was actually at the game in Indianapolis to watch me coach the Indiana All-Stars. So we have a great relationship. And, you know, I always knew that I wanted to coach. Um, so um, after I was done playing college ball at Bethel, um, I immediately um, came back to Mishawaka and wanted to be involved with the basketball program. I mean, being able to be a part of my alma mater was something that I had always envisioned. Um, so I kind of just dove um, dove right in. At that time, I didn't have my teaching license, but I just knew that I wanted to coach and that I wanted to be involved with the game of basketball. So my first year out of college, I got involved with camps. And then um, um, my high school coach, um, he had um, resigned from coaching. And Kenny Jankowski, um, the new head coach at that time, was the first individual that gave me an opportunity to be able um, to coach. Um, I learned a tremendous amount from him about some of the stuff that maybe a lot of people don't think about um, from a coaching perspective, about um, you know the loyalty and the quality people that you need to have around you. Um, on your staff, which can, you know, greatly either help or hinder your level of success. And I was able to work under him for two years. Um, and it was just a really great experience. We weren't that great in Mishawaka, but each year I was able to grow as a coach and um, form relationships with the up and coming players um, and just help working to develop them. Um, then my second two years at Mishawaka, I worked under coach Nat Pittman, um, who was an older gentleman at the time, a veteran coach. He had kind of been well-known within the area, um, especially over in Elkhart, worked under him for two years. And he really pushed me um, to um, grow as a coach just really by all of the behind the scenes things like really um, he coach had me doing just about everything, but coaching the varsity game, I feel like in some perspective. So he really put me in a position to challenge me. Um, you know, I, I feel that he had to have seen something in me to put that much responsibility on this, this young, you know, 20, 24, 25 year old, um, young woman and just kind of threw me into the fire on a lot of things. Um, so I was grateful for that. Um, and then in the mix of all of that coaching, um, I had in between Kenny and Nat, I had decided that, um, I wanted to be a head coach, um, of a program. And so I had applied for that job. And at that time in the state of Indiana, you had to have a teaching license to be a head coach which is no longer um, a rule that exists anymore. So I thought, well, if I'm going to coach, then I might as well go ahead and go back to school and get my teaching license. So I went back to Bethel and I went through the teacher transition program, which is kind of a, a one-year deal where you're going to school full-time in the evening. So I was working full-time coaching and then going to school full-time full all at once for almost an entire calendar year. Uh, so it was it was really a lot. It was overwhelming, but I'm so grateful that I did do that. So I ended up um, getting my teaching license, um, becoming certified in health and PE at the secondary level. And once um, Nat decided to step away after two years, that's when I was starting to apply for jobs um, from a teaching standpoint. And it just so happened that I interviewed over in the PHM corporation. Um, she, um, no longer is at PHM because she went over and uh, she started St. Pius School. 
but it was a phenomenal interview and she basically offered me the job at Schmucker Middle School on the spot for teaching and I was overwhelmed and shocked and I was thinking in my mind all along that this was just going to help prepare me for the potential interview that I was going to have at Mishawaka someday um, to, to coach and teach at my alma mater. Um, but things just kind of started to happen very quickly. And I soon realized that I had to think about things from more of a adult perspective of, okay, I really need the teaching job. The coaching job isn't going to, um, you know, basically allow me to live and and pay the bills, just, just coaching along. Um, so I informed Mishawaka, uh, of, um, the opportunity that I had in PHM schools, which there was no coaching tie at all to the teaching job and and PHM. And, you know, really just kind of shook out that I was trying to communicate back and forth to both um, school corporations. And it ended up that uh, um, I prayed a lot. I spoke to a lot of people that um, have mentored me and that I respect. And I just kind of took a leap of faith and said, you know what, I am going to go to PHM. I'm going to take this second or this uh, job at the middle school and I'll just see what happens. And so that's exactly what I did. I just took a leap of faith. Um, So once I was officially hired and signed my contract at Penn, I had contacted Dominic Ball. Uh, I don't know if any of you, either of you would remember that name, but he was a longtime girls coach at Penn. And I, he had recently um, decided to resign from coaching and he was just going to um, finish out his career with teaching. And I said, Dominic, I said, who's the new coach? Um, do you have contact information? I just want to throw my name out there and let them know that I'm willing to volunteer or do anything to kind of get my foot in the door um, at Penn um, with coaching because I was a newly hired teacher uh, at Schmucker. So I ended up making connections with the new, um, the new coach, Coach Starrett, and he had me come and work a summer camp um, um, during, I think it was the month of July, and it was a great, it was great, I loved it, and it just so happened that there was an opening um, for the freshman job that, that fall. So the same, the same fall that I got hired to start teaching, I got hired as the freshman coach um, at Penn. So a lot of um, you know, if you're an area individual, you obviously know that there's a huge Mishawaka Penn rivalry. Um, uh, a lot of, uh, lot of, lot of, lot of hate there back and forth over the years. And I, you know, I used to be one of those, but I didn't really understand what Penn was all about until I actually became part of it. And one of the reasons why Penn is so successful is because of how hard the kids work. It's not because we're Penn. It's not because um, everybody thinks everyone in the Penn district is is wealthy. That's not the case. Um, you know, it's very diverse. And it's all about the commitment and dedication and how hard the kids actually work. Um, so it really enlightened me on my perspective of what maybe I had initially thought being an outside kid growing up in Mishawaka and being a caveman. Um, but it really quickly opened my eyes of what it meant to be a Kingsman. So I coached freshman my first year. Um, we had a phenomenal season. Um, I think we were like 18 and one or something like that. We had, we had a great season. And then um, the following year, a week before the season was supposed to start. So we were just wrapping up preseason and um, coach Starrett, uh was let go. And Terry Tolshinsky, 
um, took over, who was longtime assistant for Coach Ball. He ended up taking the head coaching job on an interim basis because he wanted, he was getting ready to retire and he wanted to go out with uh, Lily Stabetti and Kelsey Reynolds, who are two huge household pen names um, from a girls' basketball perspective. Um, went on to play, both of them play Division One college basketball, two tremendous young ladies and players. And um, Coach Sosinski just wanted to go out with them. So I kind of got bumped up up to the JV job my second year. Um, had a great group of incoming freshmen that year to go along with some other players. Um, we went 20 and 0 that season. So I knew there was something kind of special brewing there. And um, after that, you know, Terry, he retired and I interviewed for the pin job and I got it at the age of 27 at a large 4A school. Um, but you know, I felt that I just had learned so much in such a short time from um, the great coaches that I that I worked under, that I actually played under. And again, I just kind of dove right in and I knew the things that we needed to do to keep the program at a high level and be able to sustain that. And it really started with the relationships with our feeder program and our current players and then hiring a phenomenal staff. Um, and we've been doing the same thing ever since. And to keep this train rolling, I mean, those are some intricate um, pieces to the puzzle is to have that great staff that has the same vision as you, that's as dedicated and committed as you are. Um, we have great families. We have great administration. I mean, there's just there's just so many positive things to say. And I just feel so blessed for the opportunity that I was given by Ben Karaziak, um 14 years ago to be able to be become the head coach. Um, at Penn High School, and I guess the rest is just history. <laughs> right. You know, uh, wow, what a story you have there of your journey uh, from your days playing at Bethel University and then going back to your alma mater at Mishawaka and and just kind of, as you said, kind of just growing as a coach and learning the behind-the-scenes stuff. You know, a lot of people, they always say they want to be in that chair, that, that chair, until you get to that chair and then you realize, oh, I, you know, uh, the, the bug ends with me and, um, you know, with all the pressure and things that you have to go through. Um, so you learn all that stuff from uh, some great mentors that you've been able to have. Um, and uh, shout out to our former uh, alumni um, or uh, um, former school Bethel for their teaching transition program. And uh, that had to have been just, uh, you know, if you're not a time management person, I don't know how you survived that time. Uh, yeah, but yeah. Um, like every second probably mattered in that year. Yes, uh, you were yes, it did. I think, I think that's why I'm so organized and beyond over communicative and everything that I do just because I know how valuable time is. And, you know, yeah. you you can't get that time back. So, you know, time wasted is, is time that's gone forever. And I try to, you know, instill that and get my players to, to buy in that, you know, you've got to value every opportunity that's in front of you. Um, every second matters, every minute matters, you know, would you rather spend some free time getting yourself better or would you rather spend your time sitting on your cell phone, texting and tweeting each other? Um, you know, take advantage of the opportunities that you have because you're not going to be young forever and be able to be out there on the court and play this game that we love so much. Absolutely. That's, that's a great piece of advice there for young people and people in general. 
Um, you know, I, I'm just, I'm fascinated by your journey, you know, as you were talking about how you got your teaching degree and you realize, as you said, you realize that from the adult perspective that, um, you know, you were trying to navigate your life and, and set yourself on a good path for success. And, and sure enough, everything kind of fell in, in line there. And you, you crossed the fence there, uh, the backyard brawl, you, you crossed that fence. Um, hopefully no one was injured or hurt for, uh, that decision. I'm just kidding, of course, but, um, uh, you went to the other side, uh, Penn side and, and obviously it's worked, uh, it was probably one of your better decisions, one of the better decisions you made and to do that and nothing against Mishwaka, Mishwaka is great. I know a lot of people there, uh, but, uh, you know, freshman year to JV to all of a sudden head coach. Uh, Penn High School, age of 27. So, you know, Aaron, I think you wanted to have a question about. Yeah, so, like, I think we're getting at this. You, Your team started taking off right away. And winning's not easy. Uh, sustained su- success is even harder. How would you describe what's helped you be so successful throughout your career so far? Um, you know, I think a lot of the things that I kind of already mentioned, um, I – you yourself individually as a head coach, um, you have to have supportive people in your life um, to be able to do and follow your passion. Um, if my family and my husband didn't support what I do, um, you know, there's not of there's it's 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 hard to be a coach, um, and it's even harder to be a a female head coach um, because you know there are a lot of responsibilities that you know. I don't want to be stereotypical, but that females are kind of expected to step in and do that role. And, you know, my husband, we've kind of had to switch, switch some roles in some perspectives, but you got to have a supportive system there. Um, you have to be able to, um, have a great staff. Um, you know, I've mentioned that already a number of times. Um, but if you don't have a great staff, um, someone that you trust that's within your circle that you can have those tough conversations about not somebody that's just a yes man, but that will also challenge you to grow as a coach uh, as well. Mm -hmm. And then you've got to have, you've got to have a vision for your program and where you want it to go. So you have your philosophy, you have your team values, and then, you know, what do you want your culture to be able to look like? Um, how are you setting up your feeder system? How are you interacting with your middle schools? Um, you can't just expect kids to show up on your doorstep and you're just going to be successful all of a sudden, you know, we, we do stuff all the way down to our third grade, um, where we are consistently, uh, you know, working with our kids. We are traveling in the winter and the spring. We actually starting our kitty camp. We have a league in the fall. So again, having that vision, that passion and providing as many opportunities as you can, um, for your players, I think just is, is huge in your feeder system and continuing to, basically have, you know, whatever you run at the high school, it has to trickle on down through your feeder program. So they're familiar with your terminology, um, the different things that you want to do, you know, and you're going to adjust and, and, and change things, um, with each group that you coach because each team that you coach is different, but that foundational base is going to be huge and key, um, for everyone that's a part of your program. So just getting out there, being interactive, showing face, building relationships is, is one of the biggest things, um, in today's day and age, like, Mm. um, giving a kid a high five, great, telling them they did a great job, um, going to see them play in middle school. All of those things matter. Um, giving them a shout out on social media, those are all important things that, um, that really, um, kids appreciate, 
um, and take notice of, you know, when they're, when they're, um, invested in something. So, I mean, I could really talk about that particular question just, just for hours, but those are kind of the big pieces, um, you know, for me, that support system, your coaching staff, your vision and passion as a coach with your philosophy, um, your culture, um, and then getting your kids to buy into that by building relationships. Yeah, that's all good stuff, coach. Um, feels like a trend we hear is having that support system at home and then also obviously what you practice with the high schoolers having that feeder system trickling down like you mentioned yeah you know what coach I feel like I was sitting literally I was thinking this I felt like I was sitting in a auditorium at a clinic in Indy and you were talking to a bunch of young coaches on how to build a a system and uh, just love that. Uh, I would pay money to, go to listen to you talk uh, about <laughs> how you do stuff at Penn and and uh, and I, I would sit with you for hours and just write down notes and uh, I think you got a lot of great things there when it comes to obviously you've done it uh, and you will continue to do that stuff but you have a really sound structure and piece uh, that uh, is tremendous tremendous um, for for you. Um, well, let's kind of move uh, to recapping your, your most recent season. That's 2022-23 year. Um, obviously, uh, you know, you went 16 uh, and 7. Um, and you, you don't have an easy schedule. I think we all can agree. You've got a pretty uh, packed schedule with a lot of challenges in there. Um, and uh, kind of talk about your, your year. Well, if you were to look at our team um, before our season started, you probably would, because I graduated um, six seniors in that class, and then the previous class was another six seniors, so I had two huge classes in a row, and if you were to look and say, well, how is Penn going to even win 10 games last season, um, and even when we started last uh, summer playing, um you know, it was, you know, we hadn't found our identity yet. Um, but we always seem to kind of figure it out and we trust the process and we keep continuing to grow. But this season for, for us was all about, um, um, together each year we have a theme or we kind of have something where we form around our identity and it was together this year. And we knew that we had to be able to stick together, do things together, believe in one another together in order for us to, um, have success this past season. And um, the three seniors that I had, Peyton Brooks, um, Reese Doffaker, and Julia Economo were um, absolutely phenomenal for us. Um, you know, just a little bit on, you know, their story, their journey. You know, a lot of people nowadays, you know, athletes, if they don't come in and they don't play varsity immediately, they like to throw the towel in. Um, they don't, they don't necessarily want to keep continuing to work and trust the process, but, um, Reese Stoffaker and, and Peyton Brooks, um, started out on the freshman team, their freshman year, and they trusted the process and they were intricate parts in our success this year as seniors, um, didn't really have any varsity time as juniors. And then Julia Economo, 
Um, she was actually a four year letter winner. Um, so she had played varsity for four, for four years, but you know, those four ladies really helped kind of reset, um, the culture and raise the standard of what the expectations are within our program. And that helped everyone else to, to follow and allowed us to be able to have 16 wins. Um, you know, we, we competed with teams that a lot of schools probably thought that we weren't going to have a chance to compete every game this season. Um, even against Washington, a nationally ranked team, we were ahead at some point in every game we had this season. Mm. Um, you know, so our schedule is a juggernaut. It is tough. Our, our sectional is unbelievable. Um, our conference is also has been loaded these past few years. Um, so we try to put together that, that B schedule to help us prepare for the state tournament. Um, and you know, wins and losses, everybody wants to win. I mean, that's, that's, there's no question. I'm probably the, you, you can probably believe it, but I'm probably one of the most competitive people, um, ever. Like if I'm playing a game against my daughter, she's 10, like I'm winning, like I'm not allowing allowing her to win. Like I want to compete. Um, I want to win, but you know, we did not have the most talented team, but I told the girls after the season was complete, this was probably one of the most enjoyable years of coaching that I've had in my entire coaching career, because they just brought me complete joy and excitement to come to the gym every single day because they were so in tune with the culture and each other and, and working hard and they all had the same goals and were on the same mission. And, you know, we came up short, we, we did not win the sectional, um, and we did not win the conference, but we had ourselves in a position to be able to do both of those things. Um, and, you know, at some point, like I said, we, you know, we, we were up on Marion, we were up on Washington and, um, you know, our, our, our lack of experience and those things kind of caught up to us in some of those bigger games, but, um, it was just such an enjoyable, enjoyable year. Um, and I know a lot of ki- coaches would love to say they've had 16 wins. Well, I'm used to having 20 wins a year, you know, that's kind of what we're used to. And again, not that I want to boast, I'm very humble and the girls they have, they've earned all of those wins. Um, but you know, just, a, phen- a phenomenal year for a, an amazing group of young women and um, just just so proud of what they were able to accomplish this past year, not on just on the court, but also off the court and how they grew as as young ladies. And they just made me extremely, extremely proud of what they did this season. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, uh, when I when I look at and you're absolutely right, uh, a lot of coaches would be very happy to have 15, 16 wins take that box off as it says but when you're at Penn High School in a program that you've uh, built like you said it kind of feels like you know you're used to that 20 win season uh but you I look at your schedule you really don't have a bad loss on your schedule I mean you competed with the likes of Lake Central they're very solid in the last few years um you know you competed with Marion uh, you know, coach has done a great job there at Marion, uh, and they're solid year in and year out now, it seems like. Uh, and, you know, obviously you mentioned Washington. They are what they are, you know, nationally ranked. Uh, so losing them is absolutely no um, shame in that. Uh, they're just really, really good. But um, so uh, you, you mentioned your senior class, uh, uh, and uh, you kind of talked about that. Um, and it's great to have the players, like you mentioned, the players that buy into your culture that make it fun for you. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really excited to see, you know, next year that same culture uh, and, and, you know, see what you can do next year. So let's move on to 
the Indiana All-Star team. Uh, you were the head coach this year. Uh, what an honor that is uh, for you to be able to do that. Can you talk to us about what was that like? The Maybe the practices, the, the times you had with the players and your coaches um, and being in those games down in Kentucky and then obviously in Indianapolis and, and whatnot. Well, I first want to give a shout out to um, Mike Broughton. He's the Indiana All-Star Director. He is the gentleman that selected me to lead and coach this team. So um, very blessed that I was given that uh, opportunity to be able to do that. Um, and then the two individuals that he assigned me to be my assistant coach, assistant coach, uh, a coach is Bob Lapidot from Garrett high school. Um, he just recently, um, retired from coaching and then coach Brian Graham, who is the head coach down at Triton central, which is kind of outside of, uh, Indianapolis. But when you go into a scenario like this, um, you don't really know the other coaches, you have conversation with them, um, but you can't get to know someone and just, um, a couple of conversations. Um, and then the same thing for the players as well. So the overall time that we were able to spend together, um, that Saturday night victory was kind of just a culmination of everything and the growth that we had throughout, um, throughout the week. So, you know, with the entire experience, once the team was selected, um, by Mike Broughton, you know, myself and my staff, we reached out to all the girls, congratulated them and, you know, um, but then we had to get to work. We had to start doing a lot of research. We had to watch film on the players that were chosen to kind of learn what their strengths and weaknesses are. So we knew kind of what to do as a staff. Um, to put them in the best position to be successful. And then we had to start digging into Kentucky. Who were their players about? What were we going to need to do um, defensively to slow up certain players? And, you know, you're combating with Miss Basketball from Kentucky. I mean, they have a lot of high caliber players as well. So there was a lot of uh, behind the scenes work and stuff that myself um, and the coaches had to do to get us prepared for the one week camp um, that we had um, down in Indianapolis. But once we got there, um, you know, it was an exhausting week. Um, exhausting. That's the only way for me to be able to, um, explain it. It was exhausting, but amazing. Um, and this at the same time, um, when we showed up on Tuesday, um, we had, you know, we, if we didn't play that day, we had two practices. Um, obviously there was meal times. Um, we had a banquet, we had an outing at top golf. We had a scrimmage versus the juniors. Then we traveled to Kentucky and played there. Um, that was, um, a three and a half hour ride. We got back at 3.00 AM, um, Saturday morning. And then we had to get up at eight, get back on the bus to go to Gamebridge for our shoot around, um, Saturday morning, come back, pack up, and then go back to Gamebridge for the game on Saturday night. So it was a jam-packed week, um, but it was so um, wonderful just getting to really know these girls from all across the state, having them come together, and, you know, like I said, just being together in such a short time. I couldn't make them fully my team, but I wanted to express to them what I felt was important um, as far as like, even like a small culture piece to get them to see, like in order for us to have success against Kentucky, um, 
these are the things that we're going to have to collectively do. And you could see right out of the gate that these girls, um, they traveled everywhere together, whether it was for meals or they're just out kind of hanging out or, you know, going to practices. They were always, they were always together. So it was just a great experience to see them kind of form a bond. And some of them knew each other through AAU or they might've played on the same AAU team, or some of them even played against each other in high school. But, you know, myself and the other coaches forming a relationship, I think the three of us will probably be friends for life. Um, we just had a great time with each other and I learned a lot from them and I'm sure it was vice versa, but, um, just getting to see and learn about the girls and, you know, what, what they're doing in their future, what they want to study and, just kind of getting to know who they are as, as people outside of basketball was just a tremendous experience. And I look forward to following all of them um, in college, but being able to come back and play Saturday night in front of the home crowd at, at Gamebridge, I brought back a lot of, uh, it was very kind of emotional for me personally, because in 2016, that's where we won our state title. And I'm really superstitious. So they, we were on a different bench than what we were the, when we were down there for the state championship game. So I was like, okay, we're on the other bench. All right. So I got to get myself together here and not worry about that. But, um, you know, Indiana does such a great job of, um, of promoting and putting on the Indiana all-star series and program and, it was just a great experience. And, you know, really it's the, for a high school coach, it's the closest thing to be able to, you know, coach a college game. We have a shot clock. We're playing the four 10 minute quarters. You can advance the ball with the timeouts. There's TV timeouts. So it was a real college like feel. And it was just a tremendous experience, a once in a lifetime experience. And I'm so glad that I got to do it with this great group of girls that got along so well and were so coachable and worked hard for, for us, um, for that entire week. So it's definitely an experience that I will never forget and that I'll always cherish, um, as a part of my coaching career. You know, I, I love the transparency, uh, because people think outside looking in, they think that the all-star is all the, 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 you know, the, the big spotlight. Right. Um, and they look at the game, but they don't realize all the things that, that you just mentioned to us that has to happen. And I'm so glad you said that we're exhausting because, um, you know, that's a lot of prep work. Uh, and uh, managing egos. I mean, these are all players that were their ones on number one on their teams. Um, and you have now you're all of a sudden you're not the number one person. And how do you fit this role? And you're being asked to do things. And, um, you know, uh, walk us through uh, before we move on to the last question here and we'll go rapid fire. I happened to be down there and you're right. The game was fantastic. Great crowd. Um, Kentucky. I think they scored late to tie it. Is that correct? Or maybe um, you, were you down yes. one? Or? Yes. Yeah, we were down. We were down one at okay. one point. Yes. So you called timeout. Okay. Uh, what did you say in that huddle? Uh, you you drew up a great play, but walk us through that. So they came down. They scored, like you mentioned, and um, I believe I called the timeout. We advanced the ball to half court. And we drew up a play that we had drawn up previously in the game and we had success with it. And it was for um, Layla Hall. And it was basically um, a kind of a misdirection clear out. And we said, Layla, we need you to be Miss Basketball. Right now it's your time. We need you to be Miss Basketball. And she went out and she did and she scored. And um, 
it was, it was great. And, you know, she was very, had a lot of poise and composure in that moment. And she went out and kind of put the team on her back and made that, uh, made that huge play. And then we came down and we got that stop. Um, Carson Norman was playing phenomenal defense on Kentucky's Miss basketball. They were trying to run that double high ball screen. And that's one of the things that we had worked on and shoot around that morning of how we wanted to defend that because they had did it the previous night. So mm. we had to defend it differently based upon, who actually had the ball in their hands and we were able to get a stop. And then Ashlyn Brooke was able to go to the free throw line and, and make two free throws to kind of, to kind of seal the deal. So um, we gave the ball to, to number one, Miss basketball, and she went to work and um, took care of business for us. You know, I, I'm a big believer that players win the games, but you obviously had a huge part in that and calling that timeout and setting up that crucial play for your, your best player, uh, arguably, um, and she, she made a huge shot, um, and then you finish it out. Um, that was a great scene, um, and I just remember seeing so much happiness and joy on the coaching staff face at, after that win, and really everybody. It was just a great moment there. Um, Aaron, last question. Here we go, rapid fire. Yeah, so how are you feeling about the state of high school girls basketball in Indiana? What's good about the sport? What would you like to see changed, if anything? Well, the biggest um, – the, the new free throw rule is is interesting. Um, you know, we've been doing it in some of our summer league games. Um, so I think in some situations, you know, if you're a deeper team, um, it allows the fouls to reset. So, you know, if you get in, you know – have a lot of fouls early um, and you're, you could be in the bonus for, you know, rest of the first quarter and all the way into the second quarter, it doesn't reset. Um, but this resetting, I think it can allow some teams to be a little more aggressive um, because they have to get back up to another five fouls before it becomes two free throws. Um, so um, that's a question probably we'll revisit after the season, so to speak. So I'm not opposed to it. I think it could, it could be a good thing. Um, but I, I'm not really sure. I agree with the reasoning for doing it. They were talking about because they said the game was getting too physical. Well, around the free throw area. Well, I mean, I mean, you're still going to, you're still going to have that. I don't see how that, that this rule eliminates that, but, um, so I'm not opposed to that. The one thing that I know will never happen in Indiana high school basketball. I mean, I guess I don't want to say the word never, but, um, I don't anticipate it happening is we need a shot clock. Um, we, we need a shot clock. And I know that the big reason, one of the big reasons why they haven't went to that is because it's, it's a huge monetary issue. You know, you're going to have to install it and in, you know, all of your schools, you're going to have to pay somebody to run it. I get all of that stuff. Um, but you know, um, I've played many teams over the years that will just, move the basketball for a minute, minute and a half before they even take a shot and, or, you know, they just wait till you make a mistake on defense. Uh, so I feel a shot clock needs to be implemented simply for that reason. So, you know, you can't, you can't play stall ball the majority of the time. Like some teams do like, Oh, well, if we keep this team in the thirties, then we know we have a chance to be able to win. Well, the shot clock would speed the game up. And obviously we want to be able to play fast. Right. Um, so I feel like it would play in our favor. It wouldn't play in everyone's favor. 
Um, but I definitely would like to see that. Um, the other big thing is, you know, it always comes up at our IBCA meetings, um, the, the different, you know, the classes right now, we've got four classes, um, it's in conversation that they're going to adjust the enrollment amounts, which can shift some schools from like 4A to 3A. But, you know, the one class thing, you know, was great. I was in high school. I think they changed it maybe my junior, senior year. I don't remember the exact timeline, but they made that change where it went to four classes. You know, we're never going to go back to one class, but you know, you, I feel in some instances, you kind of created the same monster when you went to classes, because when you look overall at the history, except for 4A, a lot of the times, even in the other sports, you have private schools that are, win- the same private schools are winning in one, two, and 3A. Mm-hmm. Um, and the larger public schools, you know, they kind of, it, it circulates through. So, in a dream world, I'd like to see all the private schools go into their own class um, because those schools, um, you know, um, it's always speculated that they do some recruiting and get kids come to come to their schools from public schools, which helps them load up. And, you know, I think about, you know, some, you know, powerhouses over the years that have been private schools in a variety of different sports. Um, so I'm not really sure how that's all going to shake down. I do think they are going to adjust the class enrollments. Just don't know exactly what that number is. Um, but if they do, you know, it really makes the larger schools um, have a smaller state tournament, um, if that's the case. And so that's going to mean like more travel and less teams in your sectional. Like, you know, to me, Indiana high school basketball, the, one of the greatest stages um in the game besides the state finals is you're playing in a sectional championship. Well, who wants to play one game and automatically be in the sectional championship? You know, you're used to those, right. you got a Tuesday or a Wednesday night game. Now you're playing Friday, Saturday, back to back. And that just makes it, you know, obviously more exciting and you feel like you've really worked to earn it. So that'll change some things. It will change the travel um, for a lot of teams if they're fortunate enough to advance, but we'll have to see how that all, how that all shakes out um, when it comes to the changes or the potential adjustments um, for the enrollment. So those are two things, the shot clock and how they plan to realign the classes um, moving forward in the future. Yeah, you know, uh, th- when we talk to other high school coaches, either on the girls or boys side, uh, when it comes to the new free throw rule, it's, it's kind of – most coaches feel the same way, you know, when it, like, like you said. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, but like, like you said, the, um, the reasoning about why it's done, um, I get the same answer from a lot of coaches is they don't quite understand how that matches up with the safe whole safety stuff. But uh, the shot clock is interesting. You know, if I'm a school that, like you said, can play fast and has skilled players that can shoot, I'm all for a shot clock. You know, we just had Tyra Layton on our show a couple of weeks ago and we asked him the same question. He said when he was at Penn, he was all for the shot clock. <laughs> You know, um, <laughs> but now he's at Gentown. He's like he's against the shot clock. You know, now he, he yeah. Out. Um, so I think that's interesting. Um, you know, the four classes. Um, I've been hearing about uh the enrollment and um, you know, the decision coming out soon. Um, so let's do rapid fire. Um, we we do um three to four questions uh for each uh guest speaker we have. Um, on our podcast show. Um, 
So what do you prefer watching? Um, if you watch basketball, uh, I know it's hard when you're coaching, but do you, if you do watch some college basketball or pro basketball, do you prefer college or pro? Um, definitely college. Okay, nice. I would I would agree with you. Aaron probably would disagree because Aaron's a more of a pro NBA guy. I'm more a college guy, but uh, you know, college basketball. I hope he's not a Lakers. I hope he's not a Lakers fan. No, no. We're, we're okay. both Pacers. Then we're good. Yeah, we're both Pacers. <laughs> um, I get both sides of it, so I love all basketball. <laughs> oh, is that a? Oh, I, uh, Aaron, is that a Reggie Miller jersey behind yeah, you? Yeah. Okay. Arja, I, I was like Pacers. I saw those colors. I'm like, yeah. I saw. I thought I saw a three and a one. I was like, okay, <laughs> that's Reggie. <laughs> yeah. Boom, baby. Um. Okay, so other than Pen Palace, because you have to say Pen Palace, uh, what are your top three gyms that you have either played in or coached in? Um, I would definitely say, other than at Penn, um, the cave at Mishawaka. Um, you know, I it's it's a lot. It's more. It's got a personal standpoint, but just being able to coach there as well, it's just a phenomenal, like historic type gym. Um, so I really, I really love that old school feel that it brings. Um, the other place is Newcastle. If you've never been to Newcastle Fieldhouse, um, we've played there twice in the Hall of Fame Classic. That is a really cool and really neat place. It is. Um, outside of those, I mean, those are probably, I mean, and then obviously Gamebridge is is pretty awesome. Obviously, um, that's just. You don't get to play there every year, but I would say that's probably my my third venue, just getting the opportunity to play in that type of an environment. Those are all great selections. I would agree with those. All right, so the next one, top three moments, if you could boil down boil down your time at Penn to your top three moments as Penn's coach. Oh, my gosh. Um, let's see. Well, I would have to say my top three moments would be obviously the state championship. Um, Mm -hmm. that, that was huge. Um, there was one year and this is more personal for me. There was one year that, uh, gosh, I can't remember what year it was. 20, 2018 maybe I'm not sure so it was a year that we ended up um winning the regional and we won on a last second bucket by Sarah Doy to advance to the semi-state um and me personally um there I had some personal things going on in my life at that time but there was just this unbelievable feeling of wow I can't believe that we just did this and I'm I'm never going to forget that win um, mm-hmm. and that shot that, that Sarah Doy hit, um, for us to win the regional championship and that game, I had to start three freshmen that game because of, um, a situation on our team and we won. So there was a lot of adversity that we were going through that particular weekend and day and, and we won, um, my other moment, gosh, there's just so many phenomenal ones. I would have to say that that first sectional title, something that my high school coach told me is you're never going to forget the first taste of a championship. And 
I've never forgotten that. And the first time that we won sectionals was actually um, at Mishawaka. They hosted that year, that first time that we won the sectionals. So it was kind of like a full circle moment. Mm. Um, was that 2011? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. Wow. Yeah. 2000. Yeah. 2011. Yep. That's it. Cause 2010. Oh gosh. All these years run together. It was somewhere <laughs> in that vicinity. Yes. <laughs> well, those wow. are some moments. Yeah. yeah. You've had a lot of great moments. So I'm impressed that you narrowed it down to three. <laughs> yeah. I'm impressed with myself for, I mean, there's just, oh gosh, there's just been so many great moments and so many special kids that have come through the program. And me and my coaching staff, we were just talking about that yesterday. Cause we, we traveled down to Indianapolis to play in a shootout and we all ride together. Cause we just kind of like to, you know, that's bonding for us as well. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, we were just talking about some of our past players and, you know, what they're doing now. Cause we just had a player get married yesterday from, you know, you know, seven, eight years ago. So it's just really fun to look back at the memories and the relationships that we had with some of the girls and just what they're doing now. And it's, it's just, it's just so humbling and, um, just warms my heart. Yeah, you know, it's got to make you feel good when your former players are doing so so many good things in society and contributing to society and being a mothers and, and you know, whatnot. And, and then you get to hear about that kind of stuff. It really just makes it so much more sweet. Aaron, you got the last one. Yeah, this is kind of our how we end it usually. Best restaurant in the Penn area. I can't wait for this answer. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, well, if you were asking my daughter this question, her favorite place to go to eat is Hacienda because she loves their chips and salsa and ranch and their yeah. tacos. So that would be my daughter's answer. Um, but for me personally, like, I don't know if I could choose just one one place. Oh, I think, well, I would say one of my top restaurants, we don't get to go there very often because you have to be over 21, but, um, I love, have you guys heard of Oliva's? I think it's on off of like fourth street by the underpass in Mishawaka. Yeah. They have phenomenal. Aaron, Aaron, you probably would know better than I would. I've never been there, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah, they have phenomenal Italian food, and we don't get to go there often because we can't take uh, my daughter there because it's it's um, 21 and over only. Um, but when you're talking about kind of holes in the wall, not chain restaurants, um, that's a definite um, place that you've you've got to check out um, for sure. Okay, and so one one more time, what's it called again? Oliva's. Oliva. Okay. I'm, I'm writing yeah. that down right now. Yeah. It's on my list. <sighs> the chicken parm is on point. <laughs> okay. <laughs> nice. right, chicken parm. Well, coach, uh, we had a great time, uh, you know, personally as a basketball coach, I always love having, I love all our guests, but uh, when we get a basketball coach on here, it's just, it, it's great to hear all the nuts and, and, and all of the things of, of wisdom that you share and, um, Thank you for coming on the show and uh, and uh, for talking about Penn basketball and all the great things that you've done uh, throughout your career there. 
Well, again, I, I thank you guys so much for offering me the opportunity to be able to come on the show and talk about Penn Lady Kingsman basketball. Um, I just greatly appreciate it. And I appreciate you guys for all you do for high school sports to help promote it. Um, there's just not enough of that going on out there anymore. So anyone that's willing to do that, um, just feel blessed that you wanted to talk to me and, and um, hear more about our program to help promote it. Absolutely. And hopefully maybe you can come back on the show another time. Yeah, absolutely. I would love that. <laughs> Sounds great. Thanks again, coach. All right. You, you're coach. welcome. Well, thank you for listening to the Will and Aaron show. If you are enjoying our podcast, we would love for you to rate and share our podcast, leave a review. It will, it will help us out. You can follow us on Twitter at Will Aaron show on Instagram at The Will and Aaron Show. And you can like The Will and Aaron Show Facebook page. Thanks to you, we now have listeners from five different countries, 25 states across America, and 82 U.S. cities. Tune in next time as we discuss more local college and pro sports.